So we uh, did a series on kingdom parables where we covered uh, Jesus' uh, parables, at least a number of his parables. And next week, we'll launch into a new series called Gaining Momentum. And so it'll actually be a series that has two parts to it. Part A of Gaining Momentum will be four weeks long. We want to talk about who we are as a church, uh, where we're going as a church, uh, what it will take to get there. And we also want to take a week to celebrate uh, many of the things that God has been working among us. So that will start our uh, series called Gaining Momentum. But then after that, we want to have eight weeks where we will spend eight weeks just talking about the story of God. We want to understand the flow of the story of God in the scriptures from Genesis all the way through to the end of the Bible, that the Bible is a consistent and cohesive narrative about what God is doing in the world through Jesus Christ. And so we want to have a chance to know that story. We want each person to be equipped to know the story, to understand their life in the midst of that story, and then to be able to share that story with others. So that's what's coming in the weeks ahead. Tonight, we just want to take a week to talk about being in the Word and the importance of having a life that's saturated in the Word. So that will be tonight's message. Every day that you and I wake up, we are constantly bombarded with messages. And I'm not just talking about text messages that come our way. That's included. Like, I remember a time when I could actually do something and not feel like my hip was vibrating, like, wildly to the point where I'm like, I'm going to have to see the doctor. I'm going to have to have my hip adjusted. I'm going to need hip replacement by the time I'm 45 because the text won't stop. Um, please don't feel nervous about texting me, by the way. Um, <laughs> will Steve be upset if I'm texting? Please text. But there are messages that constantly bombard us. There are messages about what we should expect in life, messages about what we should hope for in life, messages about what is true, what is right in life, and they shape not only our minds, but they also shape our hearts and shape our desires. So a major message that's out there today that's very common for us to hear from different circles is that we are the center of our world, that you are the center of your world, I'm the center of my world. I'm not great at math, uh, but if I'm supposed to be the center of the world and you're supposed to be the center of the world, that can't work out. Like The two might be mutually exclusive, and if I'm trying to fight to be the center of the world and you want to be the center of the world, it's a recipe for conflict. But we're constantly encouraged to think about ourselves first and to really want our preferences first. Uh, advertising slogans will sometimes cater to this. I think it was Burger King. They had a slogan a few years, away, a few years ago called, Your Way, Right Away. Whatever your preference is, you should be able to have it catered to right away. On our devices, we've talked about this downtown, a lot of the time on our devices, there's a setting called My Preferences. We're used to having our preferences catered to. Um, I'm old enough to remember a time when there were no playlists. Uh, playlists are awesome. You can pick whatever song you want on your phone and put it in a playlist and say, this is my jogging playlist, or this is my study music play playlist. I have a study music playlist. It's all Eric Whitaker, and it's wonderful. Um, and like acoustic music by Andy McKee. I love it. But then when I go jogging, Andy McKee's not going to help me, so I have a different playlist for that. That's what I'm used to nowadays, but when I was a kid, there was no such thing as a playlist unless you wanted to make a mixtape. Does anyone remember the beloved mixtape? You actually had to get a cassette and like a two-deck cassette and record music from one cassette to the other. And it was really clunky, but that's the only way you could get all the songs you wanted on one cassette. 
and to have something like a playlist. So we're used these days, we're used to having our preferences catered to rather easily. Another one is instant gratification. I was noodling around online and found this blog. This lady gives advice and instruction to people who are in advertising. And I'm not trying to pick on advertisers here. Um, but she said that uh, if you want to be effective at advertising, you need to have an emotional hook or some kind of a desire that you're tapping into uh, with an ad or with a commercial. And the number one thing she said that you need to tap into is a person's desire for instant gratification. Somehow or another, your ad needs to tap into that desire. And so much in our world around us caters to that. It makes it easy for us to have immediate satisfaction. We don't have to wait for much these days. I remember a time when there was no such thing as microwave popcorn. And does anyone else remember this time, an era before microwave? <laughs> Even James Dibble, he's like, I don't remember that. We used to grow our own popcorn. Like, talk about old school. And I'm not saying that's like the right way to do it, but um, so we're used to so much being very instant. The internet has made many things instant, and sometimes we can get really impatient because we live in an instant world. I found myself recently getting angry because when I try and get my keys out in the morning to lock the door, like even right now, you see how this is working? Like it doesn't want to come out, the keys get stuck in my pocket, and I start to get angry. So that's anger round number one. And that's only half the battle because then. I have to find the right key to lock the door, and I feel like I'm constantly fighting my keys, but my patience meter has been changed by culture, so much so my expectation is that everything should be quick that it makes me angry. Why do I have to wait for my keys? This is such an injustice. The world is full of injustices, and, and the big one right now is I can't get my keys out. The world messes with our our sense of what we should expect, what we deserve, what we hope for. It messes with our desires, with all these subtle subtle messages, and it can mess us up in terms of our discipleship. If God calls us to have the fruit of the Spirit, and one of the fruit of the Spirit is to be patient, and yet our world is catering to our conveniences, it makes it hard to be patient. It's hard to be a disciple of Jesus and just be patient when the world tells us you shouldn't have to be patient. But there are also darker kinds of messages that we get. Here on the University of Iowa campus, it's not uncommon for some classes to convey to us that humans are nothing but the product of time plus matter plus chance. I've had many, many students from the University of Iowa come talk to me and they say, you know, I, I believe a lot of what my faculty are saying. Um, science is awesome and it tells us so much about our world, but it seems like we've shifted from science to philosophy when they start making conclusions about what is real or true or whether God exists or whether there's meaning in life, and they're telling me that there's not meaning or suggesting that there's not meaning, and I don't know what to do with that. It's leaving me in existential crisis or depression. So there are all kinds of messages out there, all kinds of messages we encounter every day. And what we need deeply is a true word, a better word, from God about what we can hope for, what we can expect, what is true that can shape our hearts and shape our desires and lead us to greener pastures. Lord, tonight we want to thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ Jesus. We want to thank you that you've communicated yourself to us, that you are the kind of God who wants to reveal yourself to us. You want us to know you. And we thank you that you've not only told us things that are simply true, but your word reveals to us what you have done for us, that you are an active God who actively has come to love us and save us and redeem us through Christ Jesus. 
pray that you would help us to see again and again tonight the depths of your love and your grace that is contained in your word. But then also, Lord, tonight, show us the goodness of the paths that you would have us to walk in. Help us to know how to put ourselves under your word, to hear your word, and to grow in understanding it so that we can experience your goodness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, Paul uh, will launch into uh, Colossians 3 here to talk about uh, how we should put on and put off, or put off the old self and put on the new self. But before Paul gets there, before Paul launches into the passage that Melissa read for us, there's a little context. So in Colossians 2, verse 20 through 23, Paul says this, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Regulations like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul is writing to the Colossians because they believed in Jesus, they placed their faith in Jesus, um, and were following Jesus, but there was a Jewish group as well as a, a Roman group, two different groups that were coming to the Colossians and telling them, you believe in Jesus, but what you really need to be doing is practicing what's called asceticism. The text refers to that. Uh, asceticism is not a word we usually use nowadays, but it refers to depriving the body, being hard to the body, uh, not allowing yourself to enjoy certain comforts. So uh, like not eating certain foods or not eating for long spans of time, um, Monks would do things later and years later that were really ascetic, like uh, putting themselves out into the wilderness where they experience the rain and the cold and the heat. So there are all kinds of ways that you could be harsh to the body. And the idea was this was the path to growing in holiness. But Paul says, look, both of these folks that are encouraging you to, to deprive yourself of certain comforts and certain things in life, they're encouraging you to do that. But these practices, as harsh and as extreme as they are, they're not going to do anything to deal with our sinful flesh, with our indulgence of the flesh, as Paul puts it here. These practices are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The indulgence of the flesh, it's not just referring to our physical body. The flesh refers to any part of us that is opposed to the will of God. So the flesh talks about our dispositions and our desires that are opposed to the will of God. And Paul says you can be harsh to the body, you can deprive yourself of all kinds of pleasures and comforts, but it won't necessarily do anything to help you curb those sinful passions and those sinful desires. So Paul wants to talk to us about what we do need to help us deal with those things. So that's when he launches into Colossians 3 verses 1 through 16. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So look at this language here. Paul says, put off, in verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He's saying, put that to death, put it off, get rid of those things. 
On account of these kinds of wicked things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Again, that language of putting to death or putting off. Put off anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Again, that language of putting off. Uh, You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek, Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So Paul wants to say, put off the old self with all of its sinful practices and sinful desires, but put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. He goes on to say then what this looks like. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Then he closes by saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So as we've read that long piece, it sounds like Paul is basically saying two things. Put off the old self with all of its sinful passions, sinful desires, and sinful habits, and put on the new self with all of its righteous desires and righteous habits. But that might raise a question for us. It might actually cause us to scratch our heads. You might say, Paul, you've just told us that really extreme and harsh measures do nothing to curb the indulgence of the flesh. Being harsh with the body and depriving myself of certain comforts and pleasures doesn't necessarily do anything to change my heart. And now you're just going to give me a simple to-do list? And that's supposed to make change happen? How is a to-do list of things not to do and of things to do any more effective than all these harsh and extreme measures that Paul has just criticized in the chapter before? What's helpful to see in Paul's flow of thought is that this is not all that he's talking about. Have you ever tried to stop an emotion? <laughs> like if you're angry and somebody tells you to calm down, have you ever just gotten more angry? It just makes you angrier. Or if you're depressed and somebody tells you, oh, cheer up. You're like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> Thanks for that advice. Why didn't I think of cheering up before? My son Samuel, he's awesome. I love him. And there are times uh, when he's sad and I'm like, okay, just stop being sad. And I have been growing and understanding, you can't just tell somebody to stop being sad or stop being upset. Our emotions don't work that way. And Paul understands that. And that's why Paul actually in this section wants to do something a little different. So Paul, before he's going to ever talk about putting off and putting on, he opens this whole section with this, Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are earth. So Paul, before he talks about any putting off or putting on, says you need to train your mind. You need to focus your mind and focus it on something particular, on things that are above. And what he means is Christ has ascended into heaven and is above uh, at the right hand of God the Father. 
and that's where Christ dwells. Um, and this is a way of saying we need to focus on Christ and what he has taught us and the heavenly kingdom he came to tell us about. Train your minds to focus on Christ and the kingdom that he told us about. And then as Paul closes this section, he bookends it with more about how to train our minds. So he says in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So again, he opened this section by talking about training our minds, and now he's closing it by talking about training our minds. And the way he puts it here is train your minds by letting that word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach one another and admonish one another in all wisdom in the word of Christ. Now, the word of Christ doesn't just mean the words that Jesus said. It includes that. It surely includes the words Jesus said. It surely includes words about Jesus that the disciples were passing on to one another and became gospel message. And it includes traditions about Jesus that were passed on over time and became the standard hymns of the church that the church would sing. But look what Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing what? Say it out loud. Psalms. So the word of Christ here surely includes things that Jesus said or words about what Jesus did, but I think Paul is also saying it includes all of scripture. Old Testament as well as new that points forward to Christ, that anticipates Christ, that is fulfilled by Christ. So Paul is telling us, set our minds on the word of Christ and set our minds on the word of God. It's when we set our minds and train our minds to focus on the word of God, that's when we start to experience this inward change in our hearts and our minds. You cannot put off the old self with its sinful behaviors and desires and put on the new self without training your mind in the word, especially the word about who Christ is and what he has done. That's what changes our desires and uproots them. Because our desires are there because of how we see the world. There's a rationale underneath of our desires based upon what we're believing at the moment, what we're thinking at the moment. And the more we come to understand the word of Christ and understand the truth of what Christ has come to do and understand godly truths, that starts to shape the way we see the world and that's when our heart begins to change, our desires begins to change. A life saturated in the word paves the way for our minds and hearts to be transformed. So here's an example. Paul is wonderful in giving us examples. So in Colossians 3.8, he says, put off anger. That's what you put off. What's the counterpart when putting on? You can put on peace. He says in 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed were called in one body and be thankful. But how do you do that? Colossians 1.17 gives us some, some hint of how that can happen says that he, Christ, is before all things and in him all things hold together. So if you're like me, this is kind of how I, at least this is how I experience these things. Um, there are certainly moments that I can be angry and agitated. And it causes me to be short with people or to be frustrated. But usually that comes out, many times it comes out, because I feel like my control is slipping away from me to be able to control circumstances and provide for my family or protect my family. 
If I feel like my control is being taken away and I'm struggling to feel like I can provide for my family or protect them, I start to get fearful, I start to get anxious, and I get wound up, I get tightly wound, and then I start to get agitated. And here's the weird thing. I'm fearful about whether I can control circumstances to take care of my family, and yet as I get agitated and nervous and then start to get frustrated, I start to get sharp and barbed, and I end up taking it out on my family that I'm trying to protect. Is that not weird? The very ones I'm trying to protect, in those moments when I feel like I have little control to actually help them and protect them, that's, I start to get fearful and anxious and then it shows up as agitation and it shows up as anger. But in the moments when I remember God in Christ Jesus is holding all things together. I'm not in control. God is in control and I can trust him. I can trust that he is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called. When I remember that gospel truth, that word of Christ, it gives me peace and that peace enables me to be a calm around my family and not be agitated. The word of Christ is what enables me to walk in peace and to put off anger and to put on peace. Another example Paul gives us is in reference to forgiveness. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 13, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one of you has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So, Paul tells us to forgive one another. Clearly, we're commanded to forgive one another. So put off malice. Don't seek a, a revenge. Don't hold a grudge against people. Don't try and hold their offenses over their head. Instead, forgive them. How many of you would say forgiveness is super easy for you to do? My spiritual gift is forgiving people their offenses. I think few of us have that spiritual gift. <laughs> Most of us, it's a struggle. I remember talking with Brooke Simpson, our teaching pastor here at church, um, years ago. This was like a decade ago. We were talking before service. And he's, I was talking to him about how difficult it is for me sometimes to abide in Christ, to be in the word regularly and always experience the fruit of the spirit. And he said, oh, I know what that's like. He's like, sometimes on vacation, I can struggle to abide in Christ and be in the word. And then my attitude gets off and then I do something and I need to, I know I need to go to Stacy and say, you know, Stacy, you were right. I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? Um, and he's like, but I don't want to. <laughs> we struggle to ask for forgiveness and we struggle to extend forgiveness. It's really, really hard to do that. But if we remember the word of Christ, what is the word of Christ? Paul provides it here, even in this, in this verse. He reminds us, as you forgive others, as you bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, why do we do this? Because the Lord has forgiven you. When we remember the depths of God's patience and grace for us, it enables us to be able to be patient and gracious and forgiving with others. We need that word of Christ dwelling in us. The word of Christ, what he's done for us, what is right, how he's at work in the world, to reset our lenses that enables us to put off the old self and to put on the new. It's the word of Christ that is deeply transformative. This word of Christ doesn't simply remind us that we're saved by grace. When we dwell upon it, it changes our hearts. That's a twofold benefit. The word of Christ remembers us daily, reminds us daily of his rich grace for us when we fail to do what is right. And we can soak in that grace, soak in the, the reminder of God's love for us when we failed to do what is right and do what is good. But the word of Christ also works in us to change our hearts so that we begin to actually do 
what is good. It's transformative. It's the word of Christ that stopped Saul dead in his tracks. He encountered the risen Christ and the risen Christ spoke to him. He heard the word of Christ, stopped Saul dead in his tracks. And it's that spoken word from Christ that caused Saul to see that his religious zeal was rampant sin. It's the word of Christ that eventually caused Paul to realize that his only hope for salvation was the work of Jesus on the cross. And it's ultimately that word of Christ that ended up causing Paul to pen these famous words, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That word transformed Paul. It's the word of Christ that Peter came to understand. Peter was a fearful denier of Jesus on the night that Jesus was arrested, the night that Jesus was betrayed. Peter was part of betraying Jesus because he denied being a follower of Jesus. But as Peter came to understand the word of Christ and understand what was happening when Jesus went to the cross, it changed him and turned him into one who was able to boldly preach the gospel to thousands of people, including some people who were responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. It's the word of Christ that transformed Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector and had practiced extortion. He had taken people's money from them when he should not have. And because of that, he was known for being a sinner. He was also outcast and rejected by many people. And yet when he encountered Christ, the word of Christ was, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. I'm not going to anyone else's house today. I'm not going to the scribe's house. I'm not going to the religious leader's house. I'm not going to the high priest's house. I'm coming to your house today as a way of saying God's grace can come and rest upon you. And if you will receive God's grace, God will accept you when others have counted you out. And it's that word of Christ that caused Zacchaeus to realize that God could forgive him and wash him of sin, but also transformed his heart so that Zacchaeus said, you know what, from now on, I'm going to be on mission to try and go to anyone that I have wronged. I'm going to repay them. It changed him. It's the word of Christ that caused many early Christians to practice radical generosity, so much so that one ancient historian said, the Christians are poor, but out of their poverty, they make many people rich. It's the word of Christ that caused Elizabeth Elliot to return to work with the very South American tribe that had brutally murdered her missionary husband. She wanted to make sure that they still heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they had an opportunity to know of the love of God. It was the word of Christ that caused some abolitionists to believe that the way to love their neighbor was to seek freedom for those who were enslaved. It's the word of Christ that caused John Newton, a former slave trader, to not only give up his career in the slave trade, but to write the words that we've sung many times, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How good is the transformative word of Christ. Church history shows us that if people truly understand the word of Christ, it transforms them not only to receive God's grace and to rejoice in his love and his forgiveness for them, but it puts them on mission to bring God's goodness into the world as they put off the old self and put on the new, and God is causing them to become ch channels and avenues through whom God's kingdom is coming into the world. This is deeply good for God's word to dwell in us and the word of Christ to dwell in us. Church history also shows us what happens when people don't understand this word of Christ. If we don't truly understand this word of Christ, if we get this wrong, 
Instead of becoming avenues and channels for God's goodness in coming into the world, we can become avenues and channels for further evil, havoc, and trouble coming into the world. We deeply need his word to dwell within us. We deeply need his word to dwell within us. And the world needs the word to dwell within his church. So here are some ways that a saturated life Uh, we can have a a life that's saturated in the word. This isn't exhaustive, uh, just a few things we can think about. First of all, come to service. Come to worship service because here you're going to encounter the word in two ways. First of all, we hope, it's our humble hope, (laughs) that you encounter the word through the preaching, that you hear the word not only read, but the word becomes clearer as it is explained and preached upon and taught and expounded upon. So come to worship service where you can hear the preaching of the word but also come to service where we can sing the scriptures together and actually encourage one another to know the word of Christ. In Colossians 3.16 that we read for tonight, Paul said, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And then he said nothing about listening to a preacher prattle on and on. Paul said, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, teaching and admonishing one another. How? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Every time you all come together and sing together, you all become preachers and teachers. You become preachers and teachers who are reminding one another of the truths of the scriptures, of the word of Christ. So coming to service is a great way to not only hear the preaching of the word, but for us to praise God. And as we praise him, we're also singing to edify one another and build one another up in the truth of Christ's word. Another thing we can do is to develop the habit of regular Bible reading. We talk about regular Bible reading all the time uh, in Christian circles these days, and it's important. There's a reason we talk about it, not just to be good Christian boys and girls and to be able to check that off. I did that, but because we need the word of God to, to enlighten us. We need the word of God to transform us. We need to be in the word, and there are a ton of ways to be in the word. Uh, how many of you still enjoy an analog Bible? with pages and covers and ink. (laughs) Uh, I still enjoy my analog Bible, but I will say I'm increasingly finding myself using a digital Bible uh, on my uh, Bible app. So there are all kinds of ways of being in the Word. There are all kinds of old-fashioned analog Bibles that can help you know how to read the Word, study Bibles, uh, reference Bibles, excellent range of Bibles that are out there. The apps that are available nowadays are mind-bogglingly helpful. They do so many amazing things. I'm like, can you actually do sanctification for me. I'm waiting for a Bible app that will come out that actually says uh, sanctify today. I'm like, okay, it's done. It did the work for me. We need some computer science folks to get on that. So uh, there are all kinds of Bible apps that are, that are helpful. They'll help you to know what kind of reading plans you can jump into, uh, help you to, to figure out um, different ways you can read the text. But the most important thing is to carve out time to be in the word. If you don't carve out time in the word, some message is going to be knocking at your door every day. There's no way to say in the morning, I'm going to live a spiritually neutral today. I'm going to have a spiritually neutral day where I'm not hearing any messages, whether from God. I'm not going to read the word today, but I won't, you know, entertain these other, uh, you know, less than godly messages. They're just going to hit you. Every day you're awake, these messages will hit you. And so we need to carve out time to be in the word and to draw from the word and hear from the Lord. If you aren't a great reader like me, I enjoy reading, but I'm not great at it. I'm super slow at reading. 
Sometimes I enjoy just listening to an audio Bible because for me, uh, I find that I actually remember scripture a lot of the time better when I'm hearing. So there are ways that you can be in the word that are creative and that are helpful, but that allows you to draw from the word on a daily and a regular basis. Another thing that we can do is memorize scripture. So as a church, we are going to uh, try to memorize some verses over the next several weeks together. How many of you uh, got a uh, keychain when you sat down? So what we're doing with these keychains is we're taking um, a verse a week to memorize as a family. We'd like to invite everyone to memorize a verse. This week's verse is Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So we'd like to encourage everyone to be memorizing that together because when you memorize scripture, it's like ready to hand. Have you ever tried to work on a project and you're like, where's my hammer? And you have to waste time looking for your hammer. It's not effective. It's not efficient. Have you ever tried to do a job and you're like, I don't have the right tool. (laughs) And then later, you know, you're like, oh, this project would have worked much better if I'd actually had that tool. Sometimes it's helpful to memorize scripture so it's ready to hand and we can use it quickly and it's there efficiently and effectively. And we have to relearn the same things over and over. So memorizing verses is very, very helpful. And we encourage you to grab a keychain, take it with you, be memorizing those verses together as a family, as a church family over the next uh, four or five weeks. But another thing that we can do is not only memorizing verses, but learning the overall message of the Bible. A verse a day does not keep the devil away. As much as we might want it to, Verses are great handles to hold on to. Verses are great bits of scripture to hold in our head, in our hearts. But if we don't understand the overall flow of the Bible, those verses can actually be read out of context to become dangerous or less than helpful. And so what's really helpful is memorizing some verses, but also knowing the overall message of the Bible. And this fall, when we go through the Story of God series, it'll be a great opportunity for all of us to be reminded, what is that overall message of the Bible? How can I understand and memorize these verses, but put them in the context of God's overall story of what he is doing in the world? And it's a great way to bring those two things together. There are other things that you can do to have a life that's saturated in the word. In community group, be in the word together with one another. Encourage one another to read. How are you reading this week? What did you learn? How are you growing in the Lord from what you learned? In, in your family, if you're married and have kids as a family, be in the word together in different ways. Some of the best times that I've had growing, not only myself, but seeing uh, my son Samuel grow is when we read the Bible together at night, at bedtime. Find different ways to be in the word. I love chatting about the word with my wife when she listens to a podcast about the Bible and then we chat about it. I feel like I learn and grow from what she uh, brings from many awesome podcasts that she listens to. It's crazy, like I did this master's in theology and a PhD in religious studies, and I'm like, I'm learning more from my wife and her podcast. <laughs> it's crazy, I love it. Thank you, honey. Be in the word. I wanna close with a couple of encouraging pieces. First of all, some of you are like, you're telling me to be in the word, but the word is, it's confusing. Sometimes you're like, I go to the word to hear from the Lord, and I walk away like, what's going on? There's a reason there's a a podcast called My Strange Bible, (laughs) because sometimes the Bible is strange. But as you dig into the scriptures and as you do that with others and as you bring tools around, the message of the scripture becomes clearer and becomes richer. And in that process of puzzling through it, you find the clarity of the scriptures, and that's where it starts to speak loudly. So I encourage you to dig in. If you have questions about what in the world the Bible is saying, you're not alone. Please talk to us. We'd love to talk you through that. We'd love to help you process through those questions and help you to learn how to read and start 
to glean the, the great, great fruit of the scriptures. And the other thing I'd like to add is when you read the scriptures, it's not like an inoculation. Having the word of Christ dwell in you is not like taking a pill. I took my, my pill today, and so therefore I'm like impervious to sin. <laughs> I'm impervious to temptation. That's not the way it works. I mean, when you go to the gym, you don't, you know, curl, do three sets of curls and like wonder why are my biceps not bigger? At least you shouldn't. <laughs> when you work out, it's a, it's a muscle that has to be developed. It takes time. You've got to develop that muscle, continue to flex it. And being in the word is the same way. For our hearts to begin to change and to be transformed requires time and effort. And over time and effort, as we come to understand the scriptures and the word of Christ more and more, our hearts begin to change. And as our hearts are changed, we find that we are able to put off the old self. Not in a way to be able to say, thank God that I've been good enough to earn my way into heaven. It's only God's grace that allows us entrance into heaven. But as our hearts are transformed, we begin to do what is righteous and what is right. And it glorifies God and it brings his kingdom to bear in a world that is full of darkness and needs the goodness of God's kingdom to flood in. Lord, we're grateful to you that you have sent Jesus to break into this kingdom of darkness. That you've sent Jesus to deal with our sin, to, to forgive us of our sin and to make a way for us to be saved when there was no way for us to save ourselves. Thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. But thank you as well that your word not only reminds us and teaches us of your salvation by grace, but the word of Christ also transforms our hearts. I thank you for the way that you've already been at work transforming many folks here and the goodness that you're bringing to them and through them. We praise you for that, Father God. And we ask that you would just continue to do that more and more. For folks who don't know your grace tonight, pray that they would come to know your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy and your love. For those tonight, Lord God, who need to learn new habits of sitting under the word and drinking from the word and drawing from the word, pray that they would be encouraged. And I pray that you would help us to come around one another and help each other to be in the word in meaningful ways. And may our hearts ultimately be transformed to love you more and to love your ways, and to bring your goodness into the world for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.